And welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So to everybody watching, listening, this will be as a podcast too, uh, audio podcast uh, off of my, of my SoundCloud and also the website. But uh, I haven't had much sleep, but I couldn't turn this interview down. I've had about three hours of sleep in the past, I guess, almost two days, I guess now. So, but anyways, I'm ready to rock and roll, a little bit caffeinated, um, and I'm ready to, to dive into this, man, I don't even know what to call it, this, this rabbit hole, this, it's, so let's go, what, what made you, I guess, first off, with those that are unfamiliar with you, Michael, and uh, your research, I guess, give us a little rundown of who Dr. Michael P. Masters is and what led you down this road to research, um, I guess, what maybe the mainstream may call fringe science. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of a lifelong pursuit, to be honest. Uh, it started when I was a young kid and uh, heard a story uh, my dad told about having a, a UFO run in uh, a few years before I was born, I guess, but I was eight years old and heard him telling the story to some friends that were over at our house and it really piqued my interest and um just it just started to to kind of wonder if there could be some connection with uh ourselves if if these aliens could just be us from the future i remember seeing the cover of the book communion by whitley straber and uh it it sort of created this this imagery in my head and uh just, I don't know, I had this question pop up and wondered if there could be some biological evolutionary relationship between our, our past leading up to now and then continued forward into the future. So I um, went to school for physics and astronomy at Ohio University down in Athens, Ohio, and then switched to anthropology about halfway through, finished up there, went to Ohio State, got a PhD at Ohio State, and uh, came out to Montana Tech. Uh, here in Butte, Montana. Been here for just over 10 years now. Um, been researching, writing papers, and your, your standard academic journal articles. And then uh, about seven years ago, I decided I want to start working on this book, kind of investigating this phenomenon in the context of our long-term evolutionary trends, both in culture and biology. And uh, spent seven years putting it together, just published it back in March. Ironically, uh, 10 years to the day that I graduated from Ohio State. I didn't even realize that. And then I was standing over in the corner there and I saw my, my diploma from OSU and it said March 22nd on it, uh, 2009. I thought, oh shit, that was exactly 10 years to the day that I released this book. So that's my birthday also, March 22nd, 32286. Oh, no Come on Man, now. The synchronicity continues. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's, it's been a fun ride. Um, it's I, I still do the the academic journals and uh conferences and you know just submit an abstract for the big conference in our field this week and it's it's good to to have both um but i've I've really been enjoying getting out to the u f o conferences too and meeting people and talking about the research in the book so it's been a lot of fun over the last few months. What are your friends and colleagues um i guess think about this everything that you're into your research and, and your book um it, it's been really really positive honestly um 
I think during my book release, at least 30, 40% of the people there were fellow PhDs or engineers or scientists in some capacity. They've, the, the theory makes a lot of sense and it's backed up by some sound uh, scientific evidence and really looks at it in the context of Occam's razor and the, the simplest solution. So I think the ones that are aware of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it uh, have been overwhelmingly supportive. Uh, the ones that are more dismissive really are, they just got their head up their ass. Honestly, they're not doing their job as scientists because we're supposed to be asking these questions and we're supposed to be trying to get answers to some of the most fascinating, mysterious things of our time. And uh, the people that just dismiss anything outright because it has something to do with UFOs or consciousness, spirits, ghosts, whatever, uh, they're doing a disservice to the scientific community and to themselves. So um, most, most of my colleagues, at least in and around this area and ones who I've known for a long time, have they realize that and they're, they're really supportive of this work. So what made you, I guess, come to the conclusion that um, UFOs and or, I guess, aliens are possibly us from the future, Michael? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because it started as, as sort of this, this uh, I don't know, flash of awareness, I guess, back when I was eight. Um, and I've, I've studied it very thoroughly since then, but obviously aware of potential biases, confirmation bias specifically, where if I'm only looking for answers to this question through this lens of, of time travel and human evolution, then that's all I'm going to see. So I'm very aware of that potential bias and, uh, and acknowledge that in the book early on. Um, but what's funny about it is the book mostly focuses on uh, the, the science of, of our biological, cultural evolution, the science behind uh, astronomy, astrobiology, physics, time, time travel, how that could actually happen. And there's only a small part about um, abduction accounts and, and what people see in these uh, instances of close encounters. But more recently, I've been working on a presentation for Contact in the Desert, uh, which happens in May. Excuse me. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at more of these accounts, more of these classic abduction cases or close encounters like uh, Calvin Parker and uh, Jim Penniston, Amy Rylance and Betty and Barney Hill and 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 in the context of our humanness and these humanoid beings, and it's it's crazy to to go down this rabbit hole more. Like I said, I touched on it in the book, but to to hear these accounts and the way they describe these individuals, they're they're human. They're human in every sense of the word. Uh, Calvin Parker, in a recent interview on the UFO News Network, even said that that this woman looked like a human but like kind of a different race of humans. And rather than being a geographic race, it's a temporal race. It's one from a different time who has different traits because of that temporal ancestry. So to hear all of these descriptions and the, the humanness of these individuals, obviously there's exceptions. There's the reptilian, mantis men, dog man type things. But for the most part, the vast majority of these describe individuals just like us doing exactly what I would do as an anthropologist, as a biomedical researcher, 
if I had access to time travel technology. And I'm going to try to get Calvin Parker in person also, because I do, I've probably had 25 to 30 in-person interviews and he, he's about four hours away from me. Yeah, I think. In your area. He, yeah. He was just at the international UFO Congress down in Phoenix uh, last month. And yeah, he, I, I think he's from uh, Alabama maybe or Pasc- Pascagoula or, or around that area, around that yeah. area. And yeah, so he's, he's not too far from you. So if, if these aliens or UFOs are coming are actually coming from the future, Michael, do you think that we are, or do you think that they are possibly tampering and possibly changing the timelines that will change the course in the future? Kind of like the grandfather's paradox. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily, but I also will admit that I can't know the answer to that question. No, nobody can yet until we are able to meld Einstein's general theory of relativity with quantum mechanics. Um, we just, we can't know that answer. I, I mostly approach these questions in the context of block time and um, mostly draw from the research of Russian physicist Igor Novikov and the Novikov self-consistency principle, where uh, essentially uh, it looks at it in the context of there not being paradoxes. If, if your grandfather is alive, you never killed him and you never will. You don't have to worry about those things because anything you did in the past already exists as in any ramifications of anything you did in the past already exists in that future before you even leave to go back into the past. There's this self-consistency. And, and it's a lot of our, our problems with thinking about time stem from the fact that we don't talk about time and that we see it as this linear thing. There's this arrow of time as we perceive it, but that's not necessarily how it works. And in fact, in physics, everything outside of some aspects of quantum mechanics are time reversible. They make just as much sense running backwards as forwards. So it's our biological perception to see things as being linear, but outside of our perception, they can be reversed. They can happen in either direction. And it's the same thing with time travel. If you go back into the past, it's, it's already there. Everything you were going to have done exists in that past. You see it as your future. You see it as you doing it, but it's already happened simply as a result of you connecting those two previously disparate periods in time. And, and again, that's all in the context of the, the most widely held understanding of time among physicists, which is this idea of block time, that all of the universe exists is this massive four-dimensional block of time where everything that has ever happened from the big bang to the very end of the universe is already there. It's already structured as part of this giant block. So simply moving throughout these different periods within this block doesn't create paradoxes. Everything already exists is interconnected among those different periods of time. One of these comments is kind of long, but I have to read it. It's going to blow your mind. Um, it's going going to make you think this was a comment off of your interview with, um, with Jimmy Church, Fade to Black. Oh, man, that's old school. <laughs> but, 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 but check this comment out. All right, you ready for it? Yeah, hit me. All right. This, this is by Lewis. The, pa- the past is what humans assign to what is based on memories, recorded data, and artifacts. The future is what humans assign to projections of what will happen based on what we know of the cycles and processes and processes and it, as indicated in the past. These are very helpful in human evolution. 
so that we can learn patterns, then solve problems and plan. What we consider the present is matter and energy at a particular point in which we can compare and count the various cycles of things. By counting pendulum swings to complete rotations of the earth and watching the numbers between the two change, we know time has elapsed. However, the past and the future do not exist as actual spaces to which travel can occur. H.G. Wells created the science fiction concept of time travel. It, it doesn't exist because time as a true dimension does not really exist. Um, we can get to that in a minute. We can agree to meet at a particular time, but that is merely a projection of our intent. Time dilation and relativity based on speed and gravity can occur in which twins can go from one environment at one speed of time to another speed of time uh, and will be older than the, than the other. However, no one is really time traveling any more than someone is in a suspended state of animation, wakes up after a century, and then has traveled to the future. What we call the present is the result of various preceding processes. The preceding state exists nowhere, only the present one does. The future is a projection of the possibilities should, but considering the number of variables may not occur. It does not exist. The problem with the useful way for humans to process information and plan is that it can create illusions. And lastly, time paradoxes cannot occur because time travel is not possible. What has occurred is now contained in the resulting present. So, it, so at present, there is nothing to go back to. This is the problem when physicists say they don't really know what time, time is. The truth is time exists in the human languages as tense systems from, I'm not sure what that word is. This works well for us, but what we see as a bigger concept of time does not exist. What do you think of that, that comment? Um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I know. Uh, it's, touches it, on a lot of different aspects of time. The, the idea that it's just some sort of mental projection, especially the future, I mean, to separate those in the past and future and to say only the present exists doesn't really match up with the physical reality. So if we say the future is just some sort of uh, projection, I forget the exact term used, I was trying to write it down, but if we say that that's just some future projection of possible states that could result from the past, it's also important to keep in mind that to someone in the future, that is their past. And there is a physical reality and there are things that happened and there are tangible outcomes from people living through those periods of time. So yeah, this idea that, that time doesn't exist really runs counter to the physical evidence that we see all around us. One, one thing that I have gotten uh, the opportunity to do, which I feel very fortunate about, is travel all around the world and examine the material culture of past societies. And I got to work in a couple for a couple seasons in South Africa, excavating, looking for our past hominin ancestors, 3.5 million year old ancestors of ours. Clearly they existed or we wouldn't be here right now. There has to have been uh, a chain of events that led to this present. So to say that those don't exist outside of our perception doesn't really make sense. Um, and the same thing going into the future. We can't see those physical outcomes yet, but to someone in that future, 
they can, they can see that past. So yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that. I have heard that before. Um, and it, it's similar to the simulation hypothesis and the idea that, you know, we, it's true. We don't understand time completely yet. And a big part of that, as I mentioned, is that we'll have to circle that square between general reality, general reality, general relativity and quantum mechanics. And once that happens, I think we will have a deeper understanding and, and really will be able to understand the, the holistic nature of time and those physical aspects of it in a much deeper sense. But no, it's, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting yeah, comment. I just don't understand because it's, he stated, however, the past and the future do not exist as actual spaces to which travel can occur. H.G. Wells created the science fiction concept of time travel. It does not exist. My thing is, Michael, how can you say something doesn't exist? Because, um, I don't know, us in the future, let's say 500,000 years from now, who's to say we don't have the technologies, the technologies or the means to create such technologies for us to time travel? You know what I mean? Yeah, just because it doesn't exist now doesn't mean it won't. And when we see these UFOs, which I think are the actual time machine. And what I argue in the book is, is this basic idiom in biology that applies to anything really is that form follows function. And the form of these craft seem to correlate very well with the function of creating closed time light curves and, and warping space time to the extent that your light cones can be reversed and you can travel into the past globally, global space time, traveling into the past that way but you're still moving forward in your local frame of reference and you're able to separate the two so that you within that craft and probably the area around it is moving forward, but going backward into the past as they do those things. And a lot of the solutions, Einstein's field equations that have been put forth since he published his paper on general relativity in 1915 have involved the rotation of a massive or highly energetic sphere, solenoid, ring, or disk in many cases. And these UFOs seem to have all of those properties. They're highly energetic. Uh, the electromagnetism that's commonly reported in association with them likely has a lot to do with the propulsion as a means of being an anti-gravity device, but also likely has to do with their ability to warp space-time and to travel into the past. So um, yeah, I mean, the idea of time travel has certainly been played out in science fiction, but it's also been played out in the actual physics literature is a real possibility. And in fact, the vast majority of physicists agree that it is possible. There's nothing in the laws of physics that prohibit backward time travel. And also another comment uh, by Rob, I believe in free will, I believe because of free will, every decision made or not made creates a universe. We have forever to exist in infinity. Infinity is forever. Free will is consciousness experiencing itself, doing everything to find out what it is. Infinity would become stagnant and nothing would move forward without free will. Consciousness would only know one part of itself. We are all one free will is the cause of the illusion of separation. Are you still reading from that Jimmy Church interview? Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I pissed off <laughs> a lot of people that night. Um, because in talking about block time, you, you naturally have... That, 
that that's the last one from that interview. So go ahead. Uh, no, 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 it was, it was a fine, it was a fine interview. But we did start talking about block time in the context of free will, because if everything in the universe, every moment as we perceive it as the present, or which is the past to somebody else from the future, if if you are at the end of time, the end of the universe, the four dimensions of space time, then everything's the past. You can see all of it. Uh, we're still looking forward to most of it, so it's obscured to us. But, but in in looking at it as this holistic block of all events that have ever transpired, it doesn't really leave room for this idea of free will, and that pisses people the fuck off. Like they hate that idea, and and I remember especially after that fade to black interview, I got like hate mail from people. You know, like like whenever people. Uh, email me about the book. It's always, it's, it's been tremendously positive and like, hey, this makes a lot of sense. You explain it well. But when you start talking about block time and free will, those people get mad. Get I think really there's a connection, mad. Michael, with with free will. Um, I guess that the topic, the discussion of free will and I hate to say it and the new age movement. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I want to say, I want to say there's a connection there. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and, and people, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I almost feel liberated not having to feel like I'm making decisions. I mean, it feels like I'm making decisions. Everybody feels like they're making decisions, but it was always going to be what you were always going to do. And and to me, that's somewhat comforting. But a, a lot of people just want to feel like that feeling is all it is, that they're creating all of these things. But importantly... If you look back at your life, the same way I was talking about that, that person at the end of the universe, if you look back at the end of your life, there was only one outcome. E even though we have this idea that there's infinite possibilities, could turn left at that stop sign instead of right, we didn't. We turned one direction. And the, the evidence, the reality of the situation is that that was always going to happen that way. We have no evidence to the contrary. We have nothing that indicates to us in physical reality that we ever did anything differently. And so looking back on it from the future to the past, we see one chain of events. We see one outcome that doesn't leave a lot of room for this idea that there were all of these other outcomes. But people not, hate that. Yeah. And my thing is why hates, why, why bash somebody and throw all this hate towards somebody that is researching topics and having an open mind about certain things. Um, I get it all the time. I, I, I get these, these uh, trolls, you know, just because we're, t we, we talk about something or research something, not all the time, just like I told you before, before the show, does it not all the time? Does it mean that we necessarily believe in it? Yeah. We are entertaining yeah. the idea. We are entertaining right. the concept, the thought, you know, and that's and a lot of times we're describing other people's conventional understandings of reality and, and talking about block time. That's not my personal opinion. That, that is what the vast majority of physicists uh, have come to understand as the way the universe is and the way the universe works. And, and I, I guess, you know, it wasn't that bad. I, I should mention that I've only had one troll since publishing this book six months ago and it was after a coast to coast interview and it didn't even have anything to do with what i was saying i, I used a word they didn't like and they just raged against me for like like dropping f-bombs all over the place and it got pretty insane um but even the people that disagreed 
about free will were still polite for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't like it. They didn't like hearing that. I didn't, I, I didn't really see uh, that many comments on, on that interview that were like just pure out just hating on you you know they they kind of had their own idea and, and things yeah. but but for the yeah. most part for the most part i would say at least 75 to 80 percent of them the comments thought, thought it was a very mind awakening interview a thought-provoking interview yeah and that's all i'm trying to do is present the information uh from valid scientific studies to a broad audience of people who are interested in this and and that's that is that's been very well received. I mean, I've I've been on coast to coast twice in the last six months, and I've done close to fifty interviews for TV and radio and podcasts, and uh, getting invited to conferences, doing documentaries and things. So, no, it's it's it resonates with people because it makes sense and it's a simple solution. It, what's simpler than us? Like we're already here. We know we're here. We don't have to look anywhere in the universe for us. We are here and we have a long evolutionary history that's likely to continue into the future. And we're likely to have more advanced technology and bigger rounder heads and bigger eyes and smaller faces and still be bipedal and have less hair and all of these things that are so ubiquitously described in close encounters, that's likely to continue. So, so yeah, no, people, people, understand the simplicity of the idea and how it's backed by scientific evidence uh, as much as it can be because not everything in this um in regarding ufos lends itself well to science and i acknowledge that in the book i'm very cautious to separate those things but we we can't understand our evolutionary history we have a lot of data to back up what's happened and what trends have taken place so I just try to present that in a very non-biased way, and then people can take it and do with it what they want. Well, the government actually is admitting to what they're calling it UAPs now, unidentified aerial phenomena. So I guess it's kind of mainstream now, even though we know yeah. we've been talking about it forever, but now it's it's more mainstream because you have Fox News, CNN, all these other outlets, you know, talking about it. You know, yeah. it's but uh, you briefly touched on. I kind of see what I think I know where you might go with assimilation theory hypothesis. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on it? Because it seems like, I guess, with a free will, um, I guess your point of view with that, which is very mind blowing, um, it seems like almost like we do possibly live in a simulation. I'm not talking about like a, a freaking video game necessarily, but everything is ones and zeros and mathematics and everything. I'm talking about everything. Synchronicities is which kind of involves if you want to break it down with with numerology and numbers and but what what is your your thoughts with the simulation uh theory? Uh, you know, to be honest, I haven't looked into it as much as I probably should because that does come up sometimes and uh, I know a book just came out about it called the simulation hypothesis or simulation theory or something like that Um, so I'm I'm reluctant to comment too much but from what I understand of it um, I, I don't know I mean reality seems real to me at any point we could find out that it's not well one thing that that's interesting to me is just how small things are and how big they are like we're we're seemingly in the middle of a, a lot of 
tininess and a lot of hugeness on both sides of us. And, and that, I don't know, that's confusing. I guess you could say the microcosm and the macrocosm, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The micro and macrocosms on either side of us. And yeah, I mean, we could easily be floating around on a speck of dust in somebody's house or um, just some tiny little science experiment to really big things. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly not going to criticize any theory. Same thing you were saying earlier. Like if people are trying to figure things out, we, sh we should all be doing that. We should all be asking questions and throwing around different ideas and intelligent conversation, I, you know, yeah, having intelligent conversations about things. And I've, I've recently come across this idea and, and saw the book pop up on Amazon a couple of times. I guess people buy my book and this other author's book at the same time. So there must be some overlap. Makes me think I should probably buy it and read it. So I'm probably going to do that. <laughs> that uh, just, let, just let me know when. That'll be part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, We'll have a whole show just about, about that. Oh, I, yeah. I find it interesting. Um, and I, but I don't really know enough about it to make any sort of judgment just yet. So we're going to jump back, I guess, to ufos and um i guess time travel here in just a moment but i get it kind of all correlates it, it's it kind of just like a jigsaw puzzle you know it kind of all fits together everything we're talking about in a way uh if the multiverse or multi-universe theory exists what if some of these other versions of ourselves in the in these other realities within the multiverse are further into the evolutionary process and what if these so-called aliens are not only coming back from our timeline from the future, but coming from the future from other dimensions within this multi-universe model? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting idea. Um, I, I was thinking about that when I was taking some notes earlier. So yeah. it, it yeah, kind of... Especially it, the idea that uh, if there are multiple dimensions, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, specifically... Uh, focuses on this idea that we have these constant branches taking place with new universes budding off. And there's a lot of real problems with that, uh, with regard to the conservation of mass and, and some other issues with regard to visiting or affecting other timelines, like how to get back to your timeline or how they may be different in between. But even outside of those, uh, this is another one of those things that we can't fully know until we've melded general relativity and quantum mechanics, but the many worlds interpretation is interesting. I especially like what you just said there about how they could be from our same time, but a slight, um, the multiverse universe are further. If the multi-universe there exists, what if some of our, of these other versions of ourselves in these other realities within the multi universe are further into the evolutionary process? And what if these so-called, Aliens are not only coming back from our timeline, but from the future, but coming from the future from other dimensions within this multi-universe. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting idea that they're, they're from another timeline that just happens to have moved faster or uh, gotten a start rather than six million years ago with our own 10 million years ago, and they have more advanced technology. Um, and I... Like I said, I mostly approach this question in the context of block time in the book, and I don't go into the the multiverse or the many worlds interpretation too much just because, honestly, many people think it can't be tested. And that 
is problematic from a scientific standpoint. If something's not testable, falsifiable, and repeatable, we can't do much with it. Um, and this this model I present is falsifiable. If it makes a prediction about a future state of humanity that we will continue and that we will continue to have the same evolutionary changes that characterized the last six million years and the same cultural changes progressing into the future and that we will become them. We at some point will be the ones traveling back through time in these, these UFO disc shaped craft, um, triangle shaped craft and other shapes. Um, and if that's, that's a testable hypothesis. It's making a prediction about something that we can know in the future, whether that's accurate or not. But Did, in the multiverse, it's, it doesn't fit into that aspect of falsifiability. We can't know that. And in fact, many people who research quantum mechanics find that to be a fault of the model unto itself, even outside of the UFO phenomenon, that if we can't, if there's no way to observe these other universes, how can we ever test that? What about CERN, uh, Michael? Because do you think that CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, is actually an ex experiment to examine what time is and maybe other, I guess, dimensions? And maybe they're actually working on time travel. I know that's a big theory and speculation, but tell me what your thoughts on CERN, the Large Hadron Collider. Well, what do you think they're working on exactly? Because, well, you, of course, they, they're going to tell you one thing, but they may not tell you you know, they might not give you the whole pie. They may just give you a, a slice. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole reason it was set up was to research particle physics. And they have they discovered the Higgs boson and all of these other uh, just tiny, tiny little things, like I was saying, that microcosm in particle physics. And it's been hugely informative. We almost had it here in the U.S. Uh, there was a, 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 for a short time, we were almost trying to build down in your neck of the woods. I think it was going to be uh, down in the south around Louisiana, Alabama, if I remember correctly. Great, great, Michael. I don't mean to interrupt, but, you know, if, if, if they did that, you know, they, they might create a black hole and just get rid of the south, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's all those assholes from the north that won the Civil War that were, I guess, like a black hole. In the South, we'll just suck them all up. <laughs> um, but no, they got it in Europe, and they've done a tremendous job. There's been so much just groundbreaking research that's come out of it. And I'm sure if they realized the possibility to learn more about time, they, they would. Uh, and that might be one of the best avenues to do it right now. And that might be where we finally bridge that gap between quantum mechanics and general relativity is at the, the smallest level. Because general relativity is very... It, it's large, especially with Minkowski's research and geometric space time. It's, it's all of these big things. But once we understand the small to a really deep and uh, really deep level, we may be able to combine those. So, yeah, I think, I think there's a good possibility that answers about what time is and how it works and how we move through it could come from research they're doing at CERN. What about, have you looked into... Like, what do you think, and maybe others in your field, have you had conversations about with other colleagues with maybe deja vu? Could there be a correlation with some tampering? I know you kind of explained this a while ago, but uh, could there be a correlation with some of the tampering of timelines in the present from these, from those coming from the future and our bizarre personal experiences with deja vu? Uh, tell me what you think about that, Michael. Well, I can, that's one of the few things I can speak about on a personal level. Um, 
I get them all the time, dude. Get them all the time. Oh, me too. Yeah, it's super intense. Um, and I've never seen a UFO. I've never had a close encounter. So I can't really speak to that aspect of the phenomenon from a personal standpoint. But I do have really intense deja vu and I have my entire life. And the way I understand it, or at least how I've justified it to myself, is that we, our consciousness is unbound from physical reality. That there's this interplay between our, our consciousness, the energy of our brains, and the physical dendrites and axons and the, the neurons that exist within our skulls. But once we die, what's, that consciousness leaves, clearly. When, when something dies, it's not animated. Where does that go? And if it's not bound by time, what I think happens is that, that that cliche light at the end of the tunnel is just us starting over. We're coming back out into the world. We're seeing the lights in the, the hospital room or wherever. And our consciousness re-enters our brains at that point of birth. And we're just constantly cycling through this birth, death, birth, death. And that, that also helps us understand this fleeting sense of now. Like this idea that now exists, it doesn't. There's no... There's no way to pinpoint that moment in time of, of now, of this present. Uh, and it's been something philosophers and physicists have struggled with for forever since we started talking about it. So it's my own personal belief system. It's how I tried to understand this phenomenon. But like I, I will see things in dreams in a subconscious state, which also is likely unbound from time in many ways. And then those exact moments not just, oh, I kind of remember this, but the exact moment where I know what people are about to say. And I remember the smells and the, the, the feel of the air on my skin, the temperature around me, all of those things I dreamt about before in the context of my biological passage of time before they happened, but clearly they already happened. And, and this also fits within the block universe, the block time model, where they're already going to happen. They're already in my future. And my consciousness is aware of them before I get to them. And that would make sense if we're just constantly in the space between birth and death. We're always there, but we're sensing the passage of time as we move through it from birth to death throughout eternity, essentially. We're always in these bodies and brains uh, with our consciousness moving through. It's, it's getting up with the clocks. It's moving with the firing of our brains and uh, perhaps sometimes at night when we're dreaming, we can transcend that a little bit. We can get out of that movement, this linear flow of time and explore the cabin, so to speak. And I was going to ask you about the dreams too. You know, I was going to ask you because sometimes these dreams, they're, they're so real. Is it, um, yeah. and, and, and these crazy things you just can't explain, uh, briefly, I've, I've, I've said, I've, I've told this before, but briefly, my ex-girlfriend, uh, probably 10 years ago, um, I had a dream. I was, or she told me about, I told her about my dream that she, I was running through the desert and ran through this house and hit up, hit up underneath this car. But I, there was somebody, was, somebody was, was with me, but I couldn't tell who it was in the dream. But it, it was a woman. And then she's like, get out of here. Get out of here. And I said, what? She said, I dreamed the same thing, running through a desert, going to the house, oh, wow. got, got up underneath the car, and she had some guy with her, but she couldn't tell who it was. Yeah. You know, <laughs> crazy, man. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it, it gives me chills just even thinking about it you know mm-hmm. yeah no I'll, I'll i have i'll wake up a lot and tell my wife about something that i was dreaming about and she's always like so is it a real dream or a fake dream because you can tell them apart after this happens to you enough throughout your life it's very clear whether you're having a dream about something that's going to happen or you know you're just floating around in the ether falling from castles in the sky and whatnot um and and yeah it's been fun i feel like i've gotten better at at identifying those but also becoming a part of them and and seeing things happen in the future in the past and it's it's really uh it probably sounds like crazy talk but it's it's a very real thing it's one of those things where if you experience it you, you know what i'm talking about if you don't i'm sorry because it's it's kind of fun uh mm-hmm. lucid, dreaming too. lucid dreaming is super fun like getting into that that space where time doesn't pass the same way and where gravity doesn't affect you and just doing whatever the hell you want in your brain you know that's a super fun thing to do and um i think i think it would really benefit a lot of people to get in touch with that more because it's it gives you such a deep sense of yourself and in your mind it's it's really amazing and we're about to get i have a few questions before we round things up uh we're going to get back to i want to ask you about abductions here in just a moment um but man i'm just having a a, i love that i feel like a fat kid in a candy store michael like like i'm 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 loving this conversation anyways quickly quickly before we get into abductions but uh now you mentioned consciousness and everything a while ago so have you ever had the living hell scared out of you? And, and like, I'm sure you have and everybody else. And you, you feel this jump within your body, like a, a jolt. Do you yeah. think that's your consciousness or something else? Because it's not your heart. It's not, you're not moving, but you feel this. It's like something just feels like it's almost about to escape f- from, from your body. It's almost mm-hmm. like your consciousness. Okay. This isn't real. I, I just got terrified and I almost left almost died and, and left this body. I don't know. I, I know it's crazy. I know that's, I know that's a crazy no, I, no, I to, to think about, saying. but I see what you're saying. It, it kind of makes sense. Like you're, you're, you're so frightened that you jump out for a second. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but your physical body doesn't move. I've been scared before and yeah, your physical yeah. body doesn't move, but you feel that, that thump and it's like, what yeah. the was that? Yeah. You know? Right. No. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought about that before, but, um, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. If you've got, if you've got this energy in your brain, kind of honestly, you know, something that I think it is, uh, nobody knows what consciousness is. It's the same as time. We don't, we don't know what it is yet, but personally, I think, I think it, it exists as some quantum entanglement where our, our consciousness is like the wave function superimposed upon our our biological physical cerebral selves if that makes any sense at all like the 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 superimposed states essentially and i don't know how the hell to test that or or what i would do to look into that more but it it feels like our consciousness is kind of a quantum wave function i guess is what i'm saying and and yeah i mean in the context of being scared or excited uh, and you can feel that with other people. And that's why I really think this is there's almost a resonation, like a frequency that we have. And we can sense other people's energies. And a lot of times, you know, there's people you meet, and you instantly have a connection with them. 
and there's that that sort of wave resonance where there's wave destruction with people that you, you don't get along with you feel this tension and and negative energy with them and um yeah i mean i think i think those moments where you're really scared or excited sort of give you a deeper sense of what what that energy aspect of our consciousness is um yeah that's that's interesting that's a really interesting thought i like that so with alien abductions so how does your research explain these ab- the d- abduction phenomena michael is it possible that we are coming back from the future to possibly i know i'm asking to speculate but is it possible that we are coming back from the future to possibly conduct experiments to prevent something from happening in the future that went wrong with the human race? Um, well, I mean, to say that we could change anything in the past kind of gets away from that aspect of the self-consistency, unless we were always going to have done that thing in the past and it always elicited that effect in the future where it did help. Um, but then again, how can you know that you needed to do that thing in the past if your future is all roses and there's nothing that needs to change. So the paradox is almost more associated with the idea that you can change the past than it is that you can't and that it's already locked into block time. But, but no, it's, it's a really interesting aspect of the phenomenon. Um, I'll get back to the abduction part in a second, but all of the, the, the attention to our nuclear weapons and all of the people who have been told take care of the earth like to me that's strong evidence for them being us in the future they're stakeholders in our future why else would beings that happen to be uh, bipedal and big-brained and small-faced and look so much like us but from a different planet give two shits what we do with our planet you know why, why would they care but if they are us from the future they have every right to care and every reason to care um so yeah to me that's that's if these things are happening and people are being told uh watch out for nukes watch out for for zealots and and charlatans and politics and and climate change and things that could affect them in the future that kind of makes sense in the context of time travel but the abductions too to me is one of the most almost obvious things that about their humanness is is they're described so often as human humanoid uh, and and the variation that's seen too like the more nordic features or the more east asian characteristics and uh they're so often described as being just like us but just a little bit different and and what they do especially in these abduction accounts the things that they do it almost always involves a, a, a lit room with a table and they're laid down on the table and they're examined and there's machines that do things that scan them. There's um, individuals, humanoid beings standing around them, taking uh, skin samples, hair samples, fecal samples, semen samples. That's exactly what I would do as an anthropologist, as someone who studies the past, if I had access to time travel technology. I would be doing all of those things. I, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I've gotten to work at many different archaeological sites, uh, prehistoric paleolithic sites, and we're left with fossils and um, teeth and the cultural remains. If we could go back and pick these individuals up, that's 
a very good reason to do that is to get that knowledge of our past, to investigate the past using this technology available to us to see the real living individuals with soft tissue preserved. It's not just their fossilized bones that we dig up millions of years later, but it's them as they lived. We can get the DNA. We can get all of these different tissues. And to, to me, that it makes sense. It just makes sense why they do the things they do if they are indeed us from the future. Well said, Michael. Now, have you, before we round things up, um, have you looked into the Philadelphia experiment any? Oh, man, it's funny you bring that up. Because, um, because they were supposedly, they time traveled. Yeah. Or they, yeah. I, th I think it was to 1980-something or 70s yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you know, I got asked <laughs> about that once. And I was like, no, I've never heard of that. And then I Googled it. And I honestly can't tell you a damn thing about what I found when I Googled it. Wasn't it something with like a device somebody created or some sort of Tesla type situation? I don't know. I'm totally drawing a blank on that. One. I apologize. But yeah, I do remember some sort of different time. Well, according to Wikipedia, which we know that that can be, you know, that can be altered. But it's um, hit or miss. Yeah. Yeah. The Philadelphia experiment is an alleged military experiment supposed to have been carried out by the U.S. Navy at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28, 1943. U.S. Oh, yeah. Navy destroyer escort USS Eldridge was claimed to have been rendered invisible or cloaked to enemy right. devices. The story first appeared in 1955 in letters of unknown origin sent to a writer and astronomer, uh, Morris K. Jessup. It is widely understood to be a hoax. The U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment, of course, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't acknowledge it, you know, if it was to take place. The U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted, that the details of the story contradict well-established facts. Um, I'm trying to see when do they, because they, but other articles and things I've, I've looked into that it, it time traveled. I'm not sure. I forgot what year it, it, it they went yeah. into the future. And there's a, 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 I forgot his name, a researcher that uh, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, you probably just type in Philadelphia Experiment Lecture. And this guy, he died maybe 10, 15 years ago. But he, he gives a really great presentation on the Philadelphia Experiment. But yeah, it's, it's, it's with this time travel talk that we're talking about, it, it, it is very interesting. And another yeah. one, another one, uh, Michael is now this one, you know, of course, have you heard of John Teeter? Uh, John Teeter. Yeah. yeah, that does sound familiar, but it, it was a name used on several bulletin boards during 2000, 2001 by post. Oh, the guy that claims to have been a time traveler and got yeah. on some forum. And I actually yeah. read that forum. I read the whole damn thing one day. Because uh, I gave a talk in Livingston, Montana, and somebody came up and mentioned him. And then I went and I looked at that that forum that he, he was allegedly on. And yeah, it was really interesting. It, it, it was very much the, uh, the multi-universe type situation where there's different timelines and he was in ours. And yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, no, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and I need to read the entire form. I've only read bits and pieces, clip notes. But um, it's interesting. It's worth reading. Yeah, I mean... Take it with a grain of salt, of course, because uh, if somebody was just messing with those people, 
they were pretty woke. They were they were they're smart and mm-hmm. informed and knew a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's interesting. I I would I would recommend that everybody read it and form their own opinions about it. Well, anyways, Michael, that's going to be it for this time, man. I could talk to you for hours, but I like to keep these interviews, you know, somewhat short because I know I'm not saying everybody's, but my attention span, you know, an hour interview, you know, because yeah. I, I, you know, or, or, or reading, I, I can only read Most maybe. We're probably like scrolling through different parts <laughs> to look at our faces and see if yep. we said something interesting. <laughs> but I, I know when it comes to reading. An hour tops. That's about it. You know, my, yeah, my wife, but everybody's not like that though. My wife, she can read two or three hours at a time. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. You know, I think anymore, most of us are, especially with social media and YouTube. Like I watch my son and he watches a lot of fishing shows, all those douchebags from <laughs> that just do stupid shit and think they're awesome. Um, but he'll watch it for like 30 seconds and be like, no, nah, no, nah. just even if it's, even if he's really interested, just flip to the next thing just that I, I think. And, it, and I talk about that in the book actually, cause we, we live life faster as children and each generation gets bored with the things that uh, the previous generation has been able to do longer simply because their brains work faster and there's more stimulus available to them because of cultural evolution. So I totally understand it and I don't try to change that, but I know exactly what you're saying. I, I appreciate that you do that on your show because you're right. <laughs> Nobody's going to sit around and listen to us talk for three hours, nor should they. Talk about black holes in the South and, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Michael, is there uh, where can people buy your book and give out your website again? Well, I don't. Uh, I think yeah. we talked about pre-show. I don't think I gave it out in the beginning of the show. No. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Mentioned the book. Uh, no, it's, it's called Identified Flying Objects. Um, and the, the website's just an abbreviated version of that, idflyobj.com, idflyobj.com. doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but <laughs> it's short. You know, you can throw it into a Twitter post and, and it works. So, yeah, idflyobj, uh, there's links to <laughs> anywhere you can buy the book online and talks and interviews and things. So that's probably the, the best uh, resource, the hub, you could say. All right, Michael, I appreciate it, man. And I'll have to have you on the near future. We can dive more into these uh, topics because, man, like I said, I felt like a fat kid in a candy store. You know, we talked about some pretty, pretty wild stuff, but it makes you really think. It makes you wonder, you know, um, like what exactly, um, I guess with with your research with time travel, it's very thought provoking, very, very thought provoking. And uh, I salute you for your research for humanity, man, because we need more people like you, especially with, with an academic point of view to, I guess, in this field. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I really hope more of my colleagues start coming out and investigating these things seriously, too, because I agree with you. Uh, we need scientists to do their jobs and get it in the front of this and move it forward. All right, dude. I appreciate it. And you have a good one, man. Cool. Yeah, you too. Take care.